everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing? I'm glad to be back recording after COVID we had mishaps on your part. Yes. But, yes. I mean, we also had bad weather. Uh, going on at the exact same time, which probably would have messed us up anyways. Isn't this like three times we've had weather that has... I I, I know COVID was the... Yeah, te- we had... Uh, technically the... Didn't we have like uh, like the, the tornado-y stuff one time at some point? And then a year ago, we had the... The big yeah. mess that came through uh, everywhere that I think shut us shut us down yeah. for at least an episode. So sorry for keeping so, everybody at home with all the snow and not having an episode of of this to listen to. If you're all caught up. But <laughs> but now since you got caught up on everything else you needed to do while you were stuck at home and you have nothing to yes. do cuz I know everyone was so productive. Yes. When of course all the snow and ice came through and you couldn't get out. Now you have something to do with all the free time. Yes, this podcast that's our that should it's, be our tagline. The perfect podcast for when you have nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. You've got it, when you've got nothing better to do, We're why, here. why not <laughs> yeah. listen listen to us? Uh if while you're listening to us uh with all of your free time you start thinking about other things you would like for us to talk about, because this episode is actually uh, listener requested. Uh, if you have a thought about, oh, I think I would like to hear them talk about these things whenever I have all of my other stuff done, uh, you can get in contact with us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com, or uh, both of us on Facebook. You can also get to Spencer on Twitter, uh, and apparently TikTok. Yeah. I, He's there. I, I'm everywhere, so... You know, if you've if you've got the the app, I probably do. You can probably find me and ask me questions. Send him so. a send him a snap uh, on Snapchat. You can uh, drop him a line on LinkedIn, probably. Um, I, yeah, I actually I, have an account. I've been getting emails, and I don't know why. I don't know the last time I was on LinkedIn, Same. but I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll get an email if you messaged me. Yeah. So the the I don't know if I remember my login information, but uh, I, I, we listed all of those. I listed all of those ways of contact, like in descending order of most important to least important. So email us, Facebook us, Twitter, everything else. <laughs> Last episode, we talked about uh, the composition of the Gospels, how the Gospels were composed. Uh, before all of that, we had been building up with the inspiration of the Gospels, how the inspiration works, all of those sorts of things, leading us ultimately to this uh, this practical discussion of actually looking at uh, various texts within the Gospels uh, and talking about their supposed contradictions and things like that. That's where the inspiration <laughs> for this episode came from, uh, as I was asked about uh, the resurrection narratives and somebody on... Uh, on TikTok, I believe, saying, look, the gospel accounts of the resurrection, they contradict each other. Christianity is 
stupid, don't follow it. Uh, and so what do we do with that? And how do we answer these things uh, about the resurrection narratives being different uh, within the Gospels? We will talk about that today. That's that's what we're hoping to uh, resolve as well by the end of the episode is here are what the uh, the differences are. Here is something that we shouldn't be doing with them, and I think we'll start there in just a moment. Uh, but then, you know, what do we do? How do we answer these things? How should we view these things? Uh, and if you haven't already, go watch our previous episodes because that will be uh, very helpful uh, in what we're going to do today. Spencer, anything to add before we jump into harmonizing the Gospels and some problems that come in with that? Not, not really. Just the the importance of what we've talked about up to this point, because if if you've listened to all, or at least to some of the the previous episodes where we've talked about how the Bible's inspired, what the Gospels are, how they were written and composed, I, I think you'll see as we begin to talk about a specific example of kind of comparing the four Gospels, in this case looking at what what seems to be contradictions in the Gospel accounts, I think it'll become pretty obvious how this is built on those previous things. Yeah. Because it was like, when we understand inspiration in this way, this makes sense of how the Gospels were most likely composed, which begins to make sense of why we have discrepancies in them. So it's just... It is important to listen uh, to the previous ones to kind of have some understanding and respect of uh, where we're coming from in dealing with these supposed contradictions in the resurrection accounts. Uh, One of the ways that we attempt to deal with these supposed contradictions within these resurrection accounts is to harmonize the Gospels, to take all four of... The Gospels, though, it's mostly our three synoptics that we do this with, and then John's kind of its own thing that sometimes harmonizes. Uh, But we attempt to uh, match all of the varying pieces together, even though the varying pieces don't always agree on certain uh, details and things like that, which brings up the reason for our discussion in the first place. Uh, Why is it an issue... Spencer to to harmonize the gospel or what or what issues come with trying to harmonize the gospels together. Well, first off, I would just say don't don't okay. harmonize the Fault. gospels. Thanks. And uh, <laughs> um, s- s- someone may send us an an email about this this next comment, but don't waste your money on buying something that harmonizes the gospels. Uh, just don't do it. Now, I own plenty of books that do try it, too, but I regret owning every single one <laughs> of them. Good to don't, have. It's good to look at. <laughs> don't harmonize the Gospels. Don't yeah. w- waste your money. If you feel yourself pulled to purchase one on Amazon, d- donate the money somewhere. Um, borrow one you know, from somebody. Somebody you know save, has it. Save the, 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 the puppies. Donate it to a foster home, do something better with it than uh, buying a book that harmonizes the Gospels. Okay. And I say that for this reason. <laughs> the primary thing is that the Gospels were never meant to be harmonized. That's why we have four of them. 
if God wanted a harmonized gospel, he would have given us one. If God, if that's what God wanted, we would have had one gospel instead of four gospels. But that's not what God does. God gives us four distinct gospels for a reason. So don't try to harmonize them because that's not what God wanted us to have. And and the reason is when you go back to the discussions that we've had on what a gospel is and on how the gospels are composed, and we think about the gospels in that way, we realize that each gospel tells the story of Jesus. They're telling the same story because they're all writing about Jesus, but they each tell it from a different perspective. They tell the story of Jesus to make different points. They do it to appeal to different audiences at different times to address different things that are going on in the world. For example, um, Mark is the only gospel where it's generally agreed was written before 70 AD, which was the year that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, there's debate on whether or not Matthew was before or after. Both Luke and John, it's generally agreed, were written after, probably Matthew as well. Uh, so the way that they tell the story, especially someone like Matthew, who's writing to Jews— whose whole religious life has been destroyed, is going to look a bit different than Mark does pre-70 AD. Different times, different situations. Each writer is writing with their own distinct personalities. We talked about that all the way back in Inspiration on how the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write what they wrote in Scripture. And they're working with different Jesus traditions. We talked about oral tradition and sources and all those kinds of things in our last episode. And so when you take that all together, uh, that's why there's so much variety in the Gospels. You have different perspectives, different points, different audiences, different uh, traditions, different sources that are all working in each individual Gospel. And so because of that, when we try to harmonize the Gospels that are in a lot of ways, while generally telling the same story, are doing a variety of different things, when we do try to harmonize the Gospels, what that does is it requires us to do a great deal of guesswork and to create a lot of hypotheticals uh, of which we have no actual historical evidence to support. Um, one example that comes to, to my mind, and now I can't remember what story it is, but but, but there's a story that happens uh, in the life of Jesus. And in one gospel, it happens when Jesus is going into Jerusalem. And in another gospel, it happens when Jesus is going out of Jerusalem. And there has been more ink spilled then I can even imagine over trying to explain how someone can be going into and out of Jerusalem at the same time. And when we do that, what are we doing? We're just making things up to try to explain how that's possible. And it's not that the solution that we come to is necessarily wrong. It could be right, but we have no way to prove it. We have no historical evidence that this was actually what happened. And you have to do that when you're harmonizing the Gospels. Um, you've got to create these scenarios of how all of this can be fit together that we have no evidence really to support. We're just kind of 
making up things that work or that seem to work. And my problem with that on the one hand is I don't want to be making up scenarios that we have very little or no evidence to support and telling them as if they're fact. That's one problem we tend to have. Well, this is for sure what happened. Well, we don't know. But the other thing is when we do that, we miss the point of the story. Yes. If the point of the story is whether or not is how Jesus was entering and exiting Jerusalem at the same time, we've missed the point. We talked about that with inspiration. Uh, stories like uh, Jonah and Job and and uh, the flood and, and stuff like that. If we make the point of those stories, proving them historically, we've missed the point. That's not the point of uh, Jonah. That's not the, the point of Job. And some of the stories in the Gospels, we get focused on these external historical points and how we fit them together, and we miss the point that the individual authors were trying to make in telling that story. And that point goes back, and this is going to be important as we move forward. When we were talking about inspiration, I mentioned that I believe that the Bible is inerrant, but I don't think we can prove that. And the reason I believe that is because we weren't there. We didn't see the events in Jesus' life happen. We can't go interview the authors. We can't go talk to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and ask them what they're trying to do. And that, that's the problem with, with, with harmonizing. Is there a way to harmonize them? Probably. But we don't know what that was. Because we weren't there. We can't talk to the authors. We didn't see it with our own eyes. We can't talk to actual eyewitnesses and try to figure out how to fit these stories together. So we end up just having to come up with our own explanations that sometimes have no merit. And then we miss the actual point of the story. So don't harmonize the Gospels. Let Mark do what Mark wants to do. Let Matthew do what Matthew wants to do. Let them do their own things in their own way and learn from the story of Jesus from the different perspectives because there's beauty in that. We, we, we get to see Jesus from a variety of different angles. In, in Mark, we get to see Jesus as the suffering servant. In Matthew, we get to see Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Luke, we get to see Jesus as one who cares and associates with the marginalized and the poor and the weak in society. And John, we get to see Jesus as the fulfillment of new creation. And when you try to harmonize them, you miss those individual ways of thinking about Jesus. It's the same Jesus. It's just looking at him from a different angle. Let each individual gospel do that. Don't harmonize them, even though that's kind of what we're going to try to do. So I, I don't know if that makes me a I uh, I just lost the word hypocrite? I'm looking for. Yes, I don't know if that makes me a hypocrite. We're really not doing that, but we're almost doing sure. that. Yeah, uh, we're going to examine these, uh, the four Gospels, and uh, a couple things about the resurrection narratives that stand out that would have, well, that were uh, brought up in the question to me and in the video that I was shown of you know, explain this and explain this thing right here. So we're going to start with a potential contradiction 
um, number one here, uh, the the women at the tomb. You know, how many women were there? What were they doing? And all of this. Uh, Spencer solved the problem for us. <laughs> yeah, that that's a real easy uh, thing to Perfect. do. But you know, while I said don't harmonize the gospels, which we don't need to try to do. Nevertheless, these are important questions for us to think about when someone asks, well, why are the women different in all four resurrection accounts? You know, we on the one hand, we don't want to harmonize the Gospels, but on the other, we've got to be able to think about and answer and address some of the questions that kind of fall into that harmonizing area. And you get that with the resurrection accounts, all Four of them are slightly different. Um, And we're actually going to look at two primary differences that tend to be pointed out a lot. But I want to say before we dive into the women that the points that we're going to make about how to deal with these two contradictions are the same way that I think you deal with all of the contradictions, not only in the resurrection account, but anything that seems to be a contradiction throughout comparing any of the Gospels together. I I think this is the way you begin to think about what's probably going on and things that we have a difficult time harmonizing and putting together. So when you read the resurrection accounts in the four Gospels, all four Gospels have either women, plural, or a woman in the case of John. John only names one woman being the first to discover Jesus' empty tomb. And a little side note that I just have to make mention of, because this is just a fascinating thing about the Gospels and the story of Jesus that's been handed down, is that it was women who were the first to discover Jesus' empty tomb. They were the first and the primary witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And so outside of our Christian faith, that scriptures is an is inspired. So you kind of take that off of the table for now. Uh, The account of the women discovering Jesus' tomb is most likely historically accurate because women in first century Jewish society and in Jewish culture were not considered to be credible witnesses. And so no one would have just made up the fact that women were the primary witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is so important. Nothing else about the life of Jesus makes sense. Jesus has no significance if he wasn't raised from the dead. But yet the witnesses to this are women who in that time weren't considered to be credible witnesses. And so as Christians, we believe it to be true because we believe the Bible is inspired. But even if you don't believe that, this It makes the most sense that you did have women discovering Jesus' empty tomb because it's not something that would have been made up. But now we have to, within that context, have to figure out, well, why do the women change? So, for example, in Mark's gospel, the first gospel written, Mark says that it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome who discover Jesus' empty tomb. Mark tells us that they come to the tomb to bring spices to anoint Jesus' body. 
And when they arrive, they see that the stone has been rolled back and Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb. In Matthew's account, you have Mary Magdalene again, and then he says it was her and the other Mary, which most likely corresponds to Mark's Mary, the mother of James. But that's all that Matthew mentions, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, no mention of Salome like Mark. Matthew's gospel is also a little different because there's no mention of spices. He doesn't tell us that they were coming to anoint Jesus' body. And Matthew actually tells us that it was an angel that came and rolled the stone away from the empty tomb. Something that's unique to Matthew, that the angel rolling the stone away is not found in any of the other four Gospels. If you move on to Luke, you see uh, Luke says that there was Mary Magdalene, again, just like Mark and Matthew. But then he adds Joanna. He speaks of Mary, the mother of James, again, like Mark and Matthew. But then he adds the other women. So in Luke, we have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. So he gives three by name and then says that there were other women, which is at least two. So in Luke's account, we have at least five women who went to the tomb, even though we only know the name of three of them. And then, and in Luke's gospel, it the rest of the details are just like Mark. They come to bring spices to anoint Jesus' body. They show up. They find that the stone's been rolled away and the tomb's empty. If you move on to John's gospel, the last gospel written, he only names one woman, Mary Magdalene. She's the only woman that John says comes to the tomb. There's no mention of spices that she can't, no mention of her coming to anoint the body, similar to Matthew. But like Mark and Luke in John's gospel, uh, Mary Magdalene arrives she notices that the stone's been rolled away and that the tomb's been found empty. So that's one, or the first contradiction that we'll mention is the women. Uh, what women showed up? Because each of the four Gospels have a different list. Mary Magdalene shows up in all of them, but outside of Mary Magdalene, the other women uh, change from gospel to gospel. And in the case of John, there's no other women. Yeah. So we, we, we have one at least, and then two and another, three and another, and at, and at least five <laughs> and another one. So anywhere from one to five plus, uh, women were at the tomb according to our, uh, our four gospels here. Um, I was just trying to do this as you were going through it of, all right, how would I harmonize this then? Uh, so some of it's easy, I guess. Uh, the other Mary, like you said in Matthew, is probably Mary, the mother of James, like it was in Mark and Luke, but then why is it not mentioned in John? And then, okay, no mention of spices, but that's fine. You know, just didn't need to mention the detail, but we know that it's there because two of them said it. <laughs> and... And now I'm missing the. Now I'm missing and Luke the point. Has, <laughs> Luke has five. Luke has five plus, and so I, I guess everything could be fit into Luke's. But again, like you said, the, the purpose is that Jesus was raised, yes. not what yes. women showed up. Well, to and discover it, but that it was discovered. Even with the Luke thing, then we would go, yeah, but he doesn't mention an angel coming and rolling the stone back. Stones already rolled back, like in. 
two of the other Gospels. But Matthew has this weird thing. So, so what do we do with that? Uh, but moving on from women and speaking about angels, let's talk about angels at the tomb. How many were there? Uh, how many angels did we have at the tomb for Jesus' resurrection? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to talk this about this in a minute when we try to figure out why these discrepancies exist. But whereas the women may be a little easier, right? You could just make the mention that, well, there was five plus women. And for one reason or another, each author just decides to include some and not to include others, right? Yeah, it it sure. becomes a little easier. I, I I wouldn't say easy, but that that's a little easier. The angels at the tomb is much more difficult to harmonize because when the when the women show up to the tomb in Mark's gospel there's one angel that appears and in essence tells them that Jesus has been raised from the dead in Matthew's gospel it's the same thing the women show up one angel appears and tells them that Jesus been has been raised from the dead as we mentioned previously, the thing that Matthew adds is that the angel rolled the stone away. Whereas in Mark, Luke, and John, the women showed up, the stone's already been moved back. In Matthew, the women show up, the stone's rolled away by an angel, then the angel appears to the women and tells them that Jesus has been raised. So Matthew's kind of ordering and telling of things is slightly different from all the other ones. Um, and that's true for a lot of things. Matthew's also the only one that talks about earthquakes and people being raised from the dead and nice. things like that in association with the death and uh, resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so his whole account of uh, Jesus' death and resurrection is very different in a lot of ways from the other three Gospels. But th that's what we have in Matthew. Like Mark, we have one angel who this time is rolling the stone away. But in Luke and John, there's two angels, not one. Luke's account is very similar to Mark and Matthew's. The women show up, the stones rolled away, and but in Luke, two angels appear and tell them that Jesus has been raised. Okay. John's gospel has two angels. But the ordering of events is slightly different. So remember, John only has Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene shows up to the tomb. It's found empty. She goes back and tells the disciples. And Peter and John run to the tomb. We assume it's John. In uh, uh, John's gospel, it's Peter and the beloved disciple, which there's debate on if it is John the disciple or, or someone else. But we're, in this case, going to say that there's it's John. No, so Peter and no John, Peter and the beloved disciple. Who's faster, though? run to the uh, uh peter's the slower <laughs> no yeah, debate. apparently peter's slower but in uh i don't have this in my notes but i believe it's luke who also has peter running to the tomb but there's no john there's no beloved disciple um so, so there's another ahead, example of <laughs> what seems to be a possible contradiction so uh, who knows how many angels were there who ran to the tomb i don't know but peter and john run to the tomb find it empty. The next scene is two angels appearing to Mary Magdalene and telling her that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So the order in John is a little different. 
Um, But the main thing that people point out is not necessarily the order, but it's the angels. Mark and Matthew have one. Luke and John have two. So it's kind of split. Half the Gospels have one. Half the Gospels have two. And that's a lot harder of a contradiction or a discrepancy to easily explain. Um, A lot more difficult than the women. The women is a little easier. Not easy like we said, but maybe a little bit easier than trying to figure out why do the number of angels change? Sure. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> why, why do they, why, why, uh, or, or, or maybe we, that's not what we should be asking here. Uh, what should we be thinking about when we encounter these issues here of, okay, is it one woman or you know five plus and why is it not five plus in all of them uh and then is it one or two angels or do we just not care in mark and matthew about the second guy or was it hyperbolic in luke and john so we get an extra one what what do we do with that what questions should we even ask about that if we're not trying to harmonize it how do we go about trying to solve yes so The way that I answer it is probably not going to be satisfactory to some because a lot of us want very concrete answers about, which is why we try to harmonize the Gospels in the first place. But that leads, I think, to more problems than the solutions that it gives. Sure. So the answer that I would give about both the problem with the women and the problem with the angels. But as I mentioned earlier, it's the same answer that I would give to any of these kind of problems, discrepancies, contradictions uh, in any story that's found in two or more of the Gospels. Because there's plenty. I mean, th- there's websites that list all of these for you if you're interested in what people consider contradictions in the Bible or contradictions in the Gospels. There's entire websites that devote their time to this. But my answer for most of those Probably not all. I can't think of an exception at the moment, but at least almost all would be the same. Is that it most likely has something to do with the writer's access to different sources and different traditions and or the authors trying to make different points with their story. So sometimes people will call things contradictions because they're told differently. And it's not that things actually contradict. It's that, well, one author includes to decides to include something that another author just doesn't include in the way that he tells the story. And that may be that they're trying to do different things. It may be that they have access to different sources or different traditions. Uh, But that's especially the point when they're telling the same thing, but it's told differently, like the number of women and who the women were or the number of angels. And that goes back to what we talked about when we were talking about the way that the Gospels were composed and what a Gospel is. We talked about how the Gospel authors used sources and they used oral tradition in the writing of their Gospels. And we talked about how Luke tells us that verbatim. He begins his gospel by telling us that he gathered together a bunch of sources to write his gospel. 
And so the authors, the Bible even tells us that that's the way the Gospels were written. And so that's probably the reasons you see discrepancies like this, such as with the women, is because they were using different sources and they were using different tradition. It's important to remember specifically, I think, though, the way that oral tradition would have worked in the first century, which is something that, again, we talked a little bit about in how the Gospels were composed. Uh, First century society was an oral society, so you didn't write a lot of stuff down because it was so time-consuming and so expensive to do so. The way you passed on information was to tell it. You told it in stories. And the way that oral tradition worked when you were telling the stories is that you had to keep the basic framework of the stories, but you were allowed certain freedom and fluidity in the details of the story, specifically the details that are unimportant. And I think we can understand that a little bit today because even if you witness something, but even more so if someone told you the story and you were telling it to someone else, You can't expect a human being to get every single inconsequential detail correct. We we, we don't expect that from ourselves. We don't expect that from anyone else. What we do expect is for the basic story to be the same, the main events to be the same, and the point of the story to be the same. And that's the way an oral society like the first century worked because everything was told orally. And that was true, too, with the life of Jesus, because the Gospel of Mark is the first gospel written, probably written in the 60s, which is at least 30 years after the death of Jesus. So for 30 years, nothing about Jesus was written on paper. Back then, it would have been papyrus, but that's beside the point. Nothing was written down for 30 years. How was the story handed on? Orally. It was told from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. And that's the way everything worked back then. You know, today we can be very detail-oriented because we write everything down. We have access to the written details. We have access to the video footage where we can go back and watch, right? We've got access to all those things. Video cameras, writing things down, news, all that kind of stuff didn't exist in the first century. You just told the stories, And so you have to leave, in that cultural context, room for some of the inconsequential details to to change sometimes, but the basic framework, the main events, the point of the story is something that is never and not allowed to change. One way to think about it, kind of, is when I think about oral tradition, and maybe in the way that I explained it, one person telling it to another, telling it to another, you think of the telephone game? that maybe you played when you were a kid, you know, you you get all the kids, you set them in a circle. Uh, The the teacher, the leader or whoever whispers something in one kid's ear, they're then supposed to whisper it to the next person. And you see what it ends up like by the very end. Uh, And it's never the same. Sometimes it's not even close (laughs) to the original thing. Right. Um, And that just shows how hard it is to get, Every itty-bitty detail right when you're retelling something. Now, that's 
in that aspect, a somewhat good example of how oral tradition works, but at the same time, it's a terrible example. Because in oral tradition, if I'm telling Jack the story, there's other people around who know it as well that can correct me, right? You you, you don't have that in the telephone game. Right. There's not someone there listening to correct. And so you're, you're not going to get big changes in the story like you do in that game because you have multiple people, more than just one, who know and are telling these stories and can correct when things are not told accurately, when things are told wrong, and so on and so forth. But that just goes to, to, to illustrate just a little bit the way it seems that oral tradition works. We don't know for sure, but that seems to be the way the oral tradition works. And we see that premise in the resurrection story. So take the women, for example. The While the number of women and who the women are change, you'll notice that the consistent thing is that Mary Magdalene is in every single gospel. In John, she is the only one named because she's the only one that does anything. She, Mary Magdalene, is the primary character in the resurrection account. And because of that, she shows up in every single story. We would have a big problem if one of the gospel changed the primary character from Mary Magdalene to Mary, the mother of James, or didn't include Mary Magdalene. We would probably have a big problem because she's the main character. She is the only one who does anything. And so the, the rest of the women can be explained by either authors choosing to include or not to include certain women. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Maybe they knew and for whatever reason decided not to. Maybe the sources that they were using didn't include the other women. Maybe the source that John was using only had Mary Magdalene. Maybe that's the only way that he heard the story. But it doesn't matter because the story doesn't ever change. Mary Magdalene's still the primary actor in the story, she's the only one that needs to be consistent. But then you add on top of that, like I said, you know, you could have had 10 women and the authors just choose, well, I'm not going to name all 10. I'm going to name three. Sure. I'm going to name two. John, I'm just going to use the primary character because the other ones don't matter to the point of the story, which again is the way that oral tradition and writing worked in the first century. Uh, We have to put ourselves in the first century and not try to make the authors do what we would expect from authors today. Yeah, absolutely. So we we uh, if we try to harmonize, and this is what you said at the beginning, then we miss the the point of what is happening here, as you've mentioned here with the women. And we'll look at the angels thing here in a moment Uh, with the women. Mary Magdalene is this focal point of all four uh, and the message and what is happening there remains consistent, regardless of however many women are presented and for whatever reasons they're presented with. It's a good exercise in uh, being able to say, okay, well, why does Luke have five plus and John only have the one? I don't know. And that's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, The earliest readers might have known. Uh, The author's 
had a reason for doing so when they wrote those things down. It could simply have just been those were the details that they were given. But you'll notice that they all overlap in the same in one area here. Uh, and that should be our focal point is, well, where do they all overlap? What's the point? What is the point of what is happening here at the tomb? It's not number right. of women and or spices or not. It's Mary Magdalene and what occurs around her. Right. And like I said early on, if we try to harmonize, we've, we end up creating these scenarios that explain it yes. that we don't have evidence for and that we don't know. Um, but I also want to give a little side note. It's good to ask at times why things are included that others yes. don't include, yes. but it's not in an effort to harmonize. It's in an effort to figure out what the individual author is doing. So, for example, why does Matthew include earthquakes and dead people rising when Jesus dies? And did that really happen? That's what some people ask. Sure. Well. You know, that's an example of, well, trying to harmonize doesn't really matter. Trying to figure out, well, did this really happen or is Matthew just using metaphorical language also doesn't matter. The reason it's in there is because when you go back to the Old Testament, those are the very things that happen every time God acts in the world in a substantial way. And so Matthew's telling that to his Jewish audience who's familiar with the Old Testament to say to them, this is an act of God, because that's the same imagery and the same things that are used in the Old Testament. Again, in that way, it's a good question to ask, well, why is this here and not in the others? But notice I'm not asking it in a way that's trying to harmonize the Gospels or in a way that's creating these scenarios to try to harmonize the Gospels, but I'm asking it in a way to figure out what point is Matthew trying to make by telling it in this way? Um, and that's a healthy question to ask, not a harmonizing question. Yeah, how do we fit all these together is not the same question as why is this here? Because you know it's there. Mm -hmm. We don't know that it all fits together in that sort of way. Don't Don't force it. I just look for, ask good questions, look for answers, and sometimes your answer will be that you don't know how we got there, or why it's there, or any of that. Okay, so that's the that's the women's side of things. Uh, quickly here, let's talk about uh, what about the angels, the differences between one and two, as well as the winds are are different uh, with all this. What explanation do we have for that? The same one as the women. Okay. <laughs> I, I would answer it by saying probably access to different sources and different traditions. Sure. Because again, when we're remembering the way specifically oral tradition worked, while the number of angels change, the role and the speeches of the angel or the angels are pretty consistent. If you read the four accounts, the angel or the angels do the same thing, and pretty much say the same thing. So one or two does not change anything about the story. <laughs> the story is then told the exact same way. So again, I would say it doesn't matter. And that kind of goes back to 
Is there an explanation for it? Probably. Can we figure out for sure? No, because we weren't there, but it probably has something to do with the materials that they were working with the way in the way that oral tradition works. But the story, the point, the speeches, their role doesn't change. Just like Mary Magdalene's the main woman character. And so she shows up in all and she's the only one that needs to show up in all. Again, notice angels are in every single story doing the same thing and saying the same thing. The difference is, is there one or two, which is absolutely unimportant to the story, which fits with what we know about oral tradition and sources and stuff and the way books like the Gospels would have been composed in the first century. Uh, So now... But we also have the problem of Matthew, for example, of of Matthew telling us that the angel rolled back the stone, which I don't think is necessarily incongruous with the other accounts. Because, again, we we, we remember that ancient biography or bios, which is what the Gospels are, we talked about they're not concerned with chronological order. They're doing something different. Um, So... Matthew tells us an angel rolled back the stone. That's fine. We don't know when he did that. In Matthew, it kind of appears it's after the women get there and they see it happen, but Matthew actually doesn't tell us that's what happened. So who knows chronologically when it happened? And that's the same thing with John. The the angel's uh, appearance to Mary Magdalene happens after Peter and John run to the tomb. So you have Peter and John running to the tomb that sits in between Mary Magdalene discovering the tomb and the angel appearing to Mary Magdalene. But that doesn't mean that happened in that chronological order because the Gospels aren't necessarily trying to be chronological. Sure. It's also interesting, if you go and read John's Gospel, um, Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb, sees it... Um, sees the stone rolled away and finds it empty, goes back and tells the disciples, which he does in the other gospels. Peter and John run to the tomb, similar to what happens in Luke. But then all of a sudden, Mary Magdalene is back in the garden and an angel appears to her. We're not actually told. It doesn't really flow very well. If I'm being completely honest, when I read it, I'm like, okay, how did she get back here? Did she come with Peter and John? Uh, is this a day later? Sure. I mean, w- when is this happening? Which is just an example of it actually makes a lot of sense that God, John's gospel is not chronological because it doesn't fit very well. Or at least if it is chronological, he doesn't give us a lot of details about how it actually happened. It, it's kind of it, John's gospel is a bit rugged uh, there. And so you, you've got uh, both of those things going on with the angel and with, well, when do the angels appear of remembering? Well, the, the, the gospels aren't being written like a modern biography. They're, they're not concerned right. or doing the same things that we would expect if we went and grabbed a biography of Abraham Lincoln off of the shelf at Barnes & Noble. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just kind of conclude by making this kind of a summary statement of what, what we've said on this regards is that the same reasoning uh, that we've given so f- uh, for the angels and the women also explains the other differences 
in the accounts, um, such as uh, Jesus' resurrection appearances. We get different stories in the different Gospels. Uh, but it also explains the, the differences in other stories that we find in two or more Gospel accounts. And so it must be kept in mind that each author is doing something different in his Gospel. They're telling the story from a different perspective to a different audience to make a different point. Each author has access to different sources and traditions, and all the authors probably, to varying degrees, are utilizing oral tradition that is somewhat fluid, not completely fluid. The majority of the story needs to stay unchanged. The main characters, the main event, the point, but there's some aspect fluid nature to it just because of what oral tradition is stories being told orally and not being written down and then when we remember that the gospels are written in the genre of ancient bioi not modern biography and so they're doing something different they're not focused on chronology and then we remember that all of that fits perfectly well with a view of inspiration of the Bible that doesn't need to exclude belief in inerrancy. But like I said, I think needs to say we, we can't always prove that because we weren't there and we don't know for sure what the authors sure. are doing. But it, do, it, it doesn't need to ex, exclude it. Uh, but it does need to, need to recognize we're not going to perfectly be able to harmonize all this, but we're not supposed to be able to. And so w- when we keep all that stuff in mind— at least to me, it becomes easy to deal with these things because we don't have to deal with them in a black and white, here's how they perfectly fit together manner. We allow for things that we can't fully explain, that we don't fully know, but that's where faith comes in to play. Um, at, at some, I think I've said this in other episodes— God is mystery, and everything we know, uh, we're not. So we're not going to be able to know everything about God. We're not going to be able to know everything about everything, and that's okay. We have to be comfortable in that area, and that's where our faith comes in to play. Yeah. Um. The the biggest takeaways uh, as we as we draw this episode to a close here are. Uh, I think ask good ask good questions uh, of the text and be okay, as Spencer said there, with the, the not knowing if that is the place that uh, you ultimately arrive in the asking of those questions. Uh, but number two, um, suggest things. <laughs> ask questions of us, uh, of things to cover and look at and discuss. And man, how long ago was this episode recommended to us to talk about? Is it like five months ago and we're just now getting to it but well we've done we had to groundwork a lot to get here we've done four episodes since then at least we we had to do some groundwork yeah skipped a couple weeks yeah so that's uh probably at minimum two and a half it depends on it depends on uh which gospel writer you are three months Anywhere from one to five so, plus months, uh, but something in there. But ask us, ask us those questions for us to look at too, and be happy to do that. It might take, it might take a little longer than you're expecting, but uh, we love looking at this stuff and asking those questions and trying to as best we can 
see an answer that isn't forced. Uh, hopefully, at least doesn't feel forced uh, in, in this episode or anything. And uh, to ultimately be okay in that middling area of we're not really sure what the answer might be. But uh, hopefully this episode was helpful for you in uh, in looking at not just the angel and, and women, but also just the, the various differences in the resurrection accounts, the various differences that present themselves uh, between the Gospels and other uh, retellings uh, of various narratives. Uh, take this, the principles that we learned today, apply those to your reading of uh, the Gospels, and uh, those things I think will serve you well, uh, especially in trying to communicate with other people uh, that are raising these up as reasons to ignore Christianity. Uh, don't be afraid of those sorts of things. Engage them and uh, figure out how to address from there with others that may have questions. Uh, and as always, if you have questions, comments, criticisms, suggestions for us, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Get a hold of us on Facebook. Get a hold of Spencer on Twitter or TikTok, Snapchat, LinkedIn. Uh, probably not Google+. Plus. I think that's dead. Any other way. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I've got it. Thanks for but any other way you can probably get a hold of me. Thanks for joining us. Spencer and I have been sick so many times we're probably invincible now, and so we should see you in a couple weeks. We'll see you then. Bye.